We are in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we'll start in verse 16. We're going to go to verse 21. If you need a Bible, uh, you can look in front of you and grab a few Bible there. Um, Apart from salvation in Jesus Christ, and these two work so closely together, but your greatest need is to have a Bible in hand. And so if you need a Bible and you've been looking for a Bible, uh, there it is. You take that, you take it home, you use that Bible, make it your very own. Uh, It is not stealing. It is a gift already given to you. And so you take that. But I hope everyone would have a Bible in hand this morning uh, because truly the Word of God is most precious. And we are going to begin in John chapter 3, verse 16. If you were here last week, uh, the message was born from above. And we said born from above, and, and you say, well, I thought it was born again, and it means the same thing. To be born again means to be born from above, meaning that it's all God's grace, it's all God's work coming down to us. And that's what we're looking at this week. We see the continuation. So this is kind of a two-part message, if you will. His love came down. And so John 3.16 may be a pretty familiar verse to you. You say, hey, well, how about we memorize that one? Uh, that would work well. I bet you wouldn't mess that one up, Pastor, all right? Um, but John 3.16, uh, we're, we're very familiar with it, whether we think of uh, the man in the rainbow-colored wig uh, who used to stand behind home plate or behind the goalpost in big sporting events, and he'd hold up John 3.16. Maybe that image is in your mind when I say John 3.16, or you think of Tim Tebow when he decided, instead of going with Philippians 4.13, he'd go with John 3.16, and he put it on his eye black in the national championship game, which was long ago, if y'all remember that. But um, just had to get that dig in there to our Gators. But it, it, it hit nationwide, and not only nationwide, but worldwide. It spread, and everybody Googled in and wanted to know what John 3.16 was saying. And, and that clued us in that not everybody knows John 3.16, but really John 3.16 is it's like the Amazing Grace song of the Bible. Uh, you know, Amazing Grace, whether you know that song or not, whether you know the words, at least you can hum it. And in the same way with John 3.16, whether you know all the words in it, you can at least hum it. You can come close, but that's where I think the danger lies. That we take John 3.16 and we just kind of rip it out of its whole context. We, we rip it away from the conversation that Jesus just had with Nicodemus talking about being born again, born from above. And then we rip it away from what's coming underneath it and we just let it stand alone. And here's what you can do with John 3.16. You can just focus on love. You can say, well, God is love. And if you looked at one denomination, they had a conference this this past week and and they were voting on uh, whether to allow homosexuals to have leadership in the local church And it was a very close vote, but the vote continued on to say, no, we will not allow that according to God's word. But yet the rebuttal came forth that God is love. God loves us. Come on, don't you know that God loves? And you can point to John 3.16 and say that, yeah, God loves the world. And many people stop right there and they just want to focus on the love or they want to focus on the, the world altogether or maybe gave or only son or maybe your emphasis is on the whoever or you, you focus on believes or not perish or you like that part about eternal life. See, there are many things that you can yank away from John 3.16 when you allow that verse just to stand all by itself and understand that's not John 3.16's fault. <laughs> 
John 3.16 is the promise for the church. Like We, we need John 3.16. We rejoice in John 3.16. The problem is not with John 3.16. The problem is with the people who misinterpret John 3.16. And we don't want that to be with us because every single one of us can fail in this and we can abuse this text. And so we want to faithfully attach it where it belongs. And so we're looking at John 3.16 and the following verses. But hear this. God's love does not lead us to sin. God's love frees us from sin. God's love, uh, God loved us so that we can love him. Loving him drives us away from sin. So we can never use John 3.16 to embrace sin. God loves, God understands, God's not going to condemn. Surely love wins in the end because right here, God loves the world. Because God loves the world, then that means at the end, he's not really going to judge people and condemn them to the eternal lake of hell. No, that's just to scare people. Get right now. God's just going to give you a little pat on the fanny and say, you know what? You should have done better, but you know what? Wink, wink, come on in to heaven. You can't point to John 3.16 and use that as evidence. But many people use that. And so what does John 3.16 mean in its proper context? Well, that's why we've gathered. It means that his love came down to us. So read with me this well-known verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So first point, if you're taking notes today under his love came down is this. His love came down to give us eternal life to give us eternal life. Jesus is the agency. He is the way. His love came down to give us eternal life. The atonement is only possible because of God's great love. That's the only way atonement is made possible, because of God's great love. Although there is a whoever in John 3.16, we must realize that salvation does not originate within us. Love does not originate within us. Salvation can never happen apart from his love. His love. We needed the atonement. It's only possible because of his great love. Salvation will never happen apart from his love. Here it is. God's love is to be admired. Not because the world is so big and includes so many people. I don't believe that's what John 3.16 is pointing to. Oh, the world, the, the massive world, all the people. No, what is the world pointing to here? God's love is to be admired because the world is so bad. The world is so bad. We've done enough that if we were in the place of God, we say, I'm done with you people. I'm going to send another flood. I know I said I wouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to get rid of you all. I'm never going to start over again with you. Instead of doing that, he came down. Because he knew that he had to come down for things to change. And so, I reflect back when my mother, when I was a child, I would just soak up her love and her affection and kindness towards me. And, and she would often say, I, I love you. And I would say, how much? And she'd say, this much. And I'd say, how much? And she'd say, this much. I'd say, how much, mama? How much do you really, do you really love me? And she'd say, this much. And my arms can't 
stretch any further, but if they could, they'd keep going and they keep going and they keep going. That's how much I love you. Those were tender moments for me. Not ashamed to admit it, mama's boy standing right here before you. And when we look to the love of God, how he could love us being such wretched sinners, having not loved him at all. And yet he loves us more than our arms could ever stretch to display. This is the picture that we have here in John 3.16. He loved us. In what state were we in, as Romans 5, 8 points, while we were yet sinners? Christ died for us. The position that we were in, we were sinning against God. We were hostile against God. And yet he comes. Notice that the verse does not say, for the world so loved God that God gave his only son. We were not lovely. We were not beautiful. Oh, how cute, how cuddly, how adorable. I think I will come and save you. No. He came into a world that hated him. A world that he created, by the way, but a world that he created that now hates him. That's the world that he came into, that world. It's never fun to walk into a place of a, a crowded room where you don't know anyone, and you try to make casual conversation, and you get past the, hey, so what do you do? And yeah, this is what I do. And then after that, it's like, oh, we better take this somewhere, because I don't know where else to go with this conversation. And then you go, maybe find somebody else and kind of find out what they do too. I mean, it's, it can be uncomfortable, especially if you're introverted. That's a nightmare scenario. Jesus didn't just come to a place where he didn't know people. No, he knew every one of them, and he knew their hearts, and he knew that they hated him. And yet he came into a world of people who hated him. That's what we see in John 3.16. That's the world. Oh, you're saying, no, man, give me some Michael Jackson. Heal the world, make it a better place. That's what I thought the world, the world meant here. Love meant. No, 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 no. No, see, God gave his son over. He gave his son. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Listen to this. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's good news. If you are a follower of Christ, when Christ comes back, he's not coming back to deal with your sin. Why? Because he already dealt with your sin. Your sin's already been dealt with. When was my sin dealt with? 2,000 years ago at the cross. That's what it means. He died for real sin. Real sin. Your real sin. If you've placed your faith in Christ, your real sin has already been paid for so that when he comes back, he's not saying, hey, you owe me. No, he gave, he gave his life. You see, it's one thing to say you love someone, but it's another thing to show it. It's another thing to really show love. Men, that means that we wash dishes in the evening time. That's how we show love at the house, right? We serve. It's one thing to say we, we love our spouses, but that we would do the chores that maybe we're not fond of doing. But we do them. Why? Because we want to love and we want to care for our spouse. It's, it's one thing to say we love our children. You can say you love your children, but loving your children is not just giving them stuff. They don't love that really. What they love is you. Parents, what your children need from you is you. They need you being present in their life. It's one thing to say that you love your kids, but if you are not making the investment in their lives, you're not showing that you love them. 
There's no excuse for it. None whatsoever. Very passionate about this because you know why? Because we have a loving father who invests in our life every day. And so as parents, when we say, my kids annoy me, my kids are on a different level than me, of course they are. You used to be at that level. Amen? (laughs) And we have the privilege to love them by showing them that we love them. Parents, if you're in the room and you have tapped out from investing in your kids, repent. Repent. Please repent. Get right before the Lord and show them that you love them. You just telling them you love them but not showing them does not work. And yet our greatest model for this is right here before us. So that none would perish. You know what the word perish means? It means to be wholly destroyed as opposed to eternal life being wholly or wholly saved. There will be those who are wholly destroyed and there will be more people wholly destroyed then there will be wholly saved in eternal life. So the first thing is, is that he gives us eternal life. This eternal life, being wholly saved, means our confidence is all in him coming down to us. This is not a performance-based passage here. It's all in Christ. But here's the second point. His love came down to save us from our sin and condemnation. So if Christ is the agency, then this is the purpose of his coming, to save us from our sin and condemnation. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, we just can't stop with 316. We got to go to 317 and below. D.A. Carson says this, the son of man came into an already lost and condemned world. He did not come into a neutral world in order to save some and condemn others. He came into a lost world. For that is the nature of the world. And why did he do it? In order to save some. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. This is good news. So Jesus did not come to judge. He did not come to condemn. He did not come to destroy in that moment. Why? Because the unbeliever is already condemned. Through Jesus, we are rescued. We are rescued from an already existing condemnation. That's why he came to rescue us. Not to look at us and say, hey, who's been on their best behavior here? Who's been naughty? Who's been nice? I want to find the nice ones, the naughty ones. You're not on my list. Nice ones, you're on my list. You're the type I want on my team. Let's go. Let's play. No. Everyone was naughty. Everyone was condemned. And yet he came to rescue so that we may have this testimony. From Romans 8, 1 through 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Wow. That's what he came to do. He came to rescue us, to give us life. You see that word might? Everybody see that word might in verse 17? We hear that word might and we go, oh, the possibilities, maybe. That means it it hinges on my performance. It hinges on if I will come to him. It hinges on my might, my energy, my part. That's not what the word might means there. 
When you break it down, we understand that it's not a contingency, but a purpose. It's not an if, it's not a maybe. Maybe be saved through him, maybe, there's potential. Maybe if you do all of these things, maybe if you take all these steps to be reborn. Remember we said there's not all these steps to be reborn. Reborn is because of God's grace, and then there are steps taken. You don't take steps before you're born, you take steps after you are born. At least I think that's how it goes. This word might, it's an understanding that we would be safe from danger. It means to preserve. It means to make whole. It's what we see in Galatians 4, 5, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You know what that means? Not hopefully receiving adoption. That means to receive it fully. That's our confidence, that we might receive adoption as sons that the world might be saved through him. It is a rescue, not a hopeful wish, but the purpose for coming down. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Oh, that's good news. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. I like the form of evangelism where you would take the Ten Commandments and you would hold them up to someone and you go, maybe cold call evangelism, and you just walk up to somebody and say, hey, are you a good person? They go, yeah, I'm a good person. All right. Um, You believe the Bible? Yeah, I believe the Bible. What do you think about the Ten Commandments? Yeah, they're legit. Okay, can we measure your life by the Ten Commandments? Yeah, okay. Have you ever taken names of the Lord in vain? Yeah, I have. Uh, Have you ever worshipped anything other than God? Yeah, I have. Uh, have you ever cheated? Have you ever stolen? You know, we go down the list and you go, it doesn't sound like you're a very good person. Yeah, you're, you're right. I'm not a good person. You see, but I, I like that form of evangelism. But here's, here's a good form of evangelism. You ready? Hey, do you believe the Bible? Yeah, I believe the Bible. Can I show you a verse? Yeah. Do you believe that you're a good person? Yeah, I believe I'm a good person. Okay. Can I just tell you what the Bible says about you? Sure. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The question is not, let's measure up to see if you're good or not, it's, you're condemned already. You're already in condemnation. Every single one of us are in condemnation. We are condemned. We are guilty. We should be judged and thrown into the eternal lake of fire. That, that's where our, our forever home should be. Every single one of us in this room, when we sing amazing grace and we go, oh, that's sweet. You know what? Um, that, that's good. But how much more would it mean when we really understand that we don't deserve the grace that's so amazing that we should have been thrown into the eternal lake of fire and that's where our home should be forever. And God is still good in doing that. They say, well, I don't don't like that option. Well, it's only made possible that we can escape from that because of God's grace. It's it's never based on did we measure up. We're condemned already. You see, he did not come to judge the world in their condemnation. He came to save the whoevers from their condemnation. There are real whoevers in the world that will indeed be saved. And those who remain in their condemnation will be judged at the great white throne judgment. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to tell you, I believe the Bible. I don't step away from the Bible when it comes to instructing, when it comes to saying, hey, here's what life is all about. It always comes from the word for me. I hope that would be the same for many of us in this room, for all of us in the room. That's the hope. Let me tell you, if you're not following Jesus one day, if you reject him here on earth, you will stand before a great white throne judgment and you will be judged guilty. There's nothing you could say because you're condemned already. You're already condemned. 
You can't build a case for yourself. You can't outweigh the good from the bad. You're already condemned. It's, it's already too late in that sense if it, it's relying on you. you. You did not get the opportunity in the garden to not eat from the tree. But you and I both would have eaten from that tree. Come on, admit it. You know we would have. We like to blame Eve. We like to blame Adam at times, but we would have, we would have gone for it. But we didn't have that opportunity, but the opportunity we have here is that we're condemned and our only hope is in the grace of God. That, that's our only hope. But for those who reject this grace, those who reject God, those who reject this hearing of the scripture, this is what awaits. Revelation 20, 12 through 14. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. What they had done in what? In their condemnation. Verse 14. The death in Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. This is for all of those who reject Christ. All but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is for all of those who reject that only son. This is your forever home, church. This is a reality. If this is, has not been a reality lately for your loved ones or for the people you work with or the people we uh, brush shoulders with out in the community, this is reality for millions of people. This is going to be their home forever, an eternal lake of fire. And you know what people are going to be doing there? Nobody's going to be pointing to God and saying, God, you are great. You are good. You know what they're going to be doing? They're going to be pointing to each other and saying, I don't belong here. You belong here. I mean, you're more wretched than me. There's no way I should be in this eternal lake of fire. You're the one who should be in this lake of fire. And it's just a whole blame game all for eternity, but it doesn't matter because it will never end. You see, the blame game can stop here on this earth, but the blame game will not stop in eternity. I am firmly convinced through Scripture that there will be no one worshiping God in the eternal lake of fire. Everyone will be cursing God. Everyone will still feel like they didn't need to be condemned. But that doesn't change the fact that we're already condemned. Erwin Lutzer says this, this multitude has is diverse in its religions. He says, we see Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and Protestants and Catholics and Baptists, Presbyterians. We see those who believed in one God and those who believed in many gods. We see those who refused to believe in any God at all. We see those who believed in meditation as a means of salvation and those who believed that doing great deeds was the path to eternal life. We see the moral and immoral the priest as well as the minister, the nun as well as the missionary. Many will be surprised because they could do even the greatest of works here on this earth, and yet they did not do it for the glory of God. They did it for the glory of themselves. Why are they condemned? Because they did not believe in the name of the only Son of God. Today, will you believe in the name of the only Son of God? Will you be saved from this coming judgment? Will you trust that he is good? I don't know if you've heard this commercial. It is rather annoying, and I'm going to give my best attempt, and I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway. Have you heard that commercial that goes, I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. Anybody heard that? 
on the radio? <laughs> that annoys the stew out of me. As soon as I hear that, it's, as she's trying to be a Jersey girl, obviously it's not somebody who's a Jersey girl trying to be a Jersey girl, and here I'm trying to be a Jersey girl, and it's not quite working out. But I'm a good person. Like, that right there, as annoying as that is, Imagine before a holy God when people walk up to him and say, I'm a good person. Everybody believes somewhere in their own flesh that they're a good person. Oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. I do a lot of good things. I had one young man tell me one time he was so good. If anybody was deserving of what Jesus did, it was him. I said, man, you need to repent. You're wicked. That pride right there stinks. I'm afraid you're as lost as can be, man. You, you need to repent right now. We talked about the rich young ruler, and as we finished, he couldn't get out of the room fast enough. You know why? Because when the light comes, it begins to expose that which is in the darkness. And it exposed that darkness which inside of him said, I'm a good person. And yet we see here we're not a good person. There's only one that is good. And he came down. So we see number three. He came down to establish his good work in us. This is the reality. This is the reality. Verse 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light is coming to the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So get this. Not only are people in the dark, but they love the darkness. They love darkness. They eat up darkness. They want to stay in the darkness. You see, when you love something, you partake in it. When you love it, you partake in it. When you say, oh, I fell into the sin. Oh, man, I just lift up. Man, I just, I don't know how it happened, man. I just got to flirting with this woman, and all of a sudden, man, things begin to progress. You did that because you loved it. You loved it. You loved the attention. You loved how it made you feel. You love that you got respect, maybe that you weren't getting. You loved it. That's why you did it. You see, even as Christians, we still fall into sin every day because we still love it. And yet Christ knew that. And he died for the sin that we would still love even after we received the love that he gave us. Nobody loves like Jesus does. Nobody loves this way. You know what physical darkness looks like? We, we know. I mean, we've been in, out in the country. <laughs> see the stars up at night. And, but it's dark, man. You can't see your hand in front of you. We, we know physical darkness, but are you aware of what spiritual darkness looks like? You see, I'm concerned that we are so immersed in the culture that we don't even realize the darkness that we so desire every day. 
Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is darkness. This is a picture of darkness. And you say, oh no, I've, I've committed one of those. I believe I've been jealous before. I believe I got caught up in a, in a rivalry football game. <laughs> you go, oh no, what's going to happen? Can I not enter into heaven? Listen, you, you embrace these things, you remain in these things, and no, you cannot come into the kingdom of God. We die to these things. And we follow Christ. In order to live, you must die. And then every day, we mortify these sins. We slash them with the good word of God. We put them to death every day, every day because we could fall into these things. When people say, I don't know how they could fall into, and you name that sin, I say, I know why. I'll give you the answer right now. I'll know why. Because it's in you from birth. It's in you. It's in me. I don't know how pastors could, could fall. I'll tell you why, because I'm no different than you. I have a calling to preach the word of God, just as you have a calling in your life to go and do something special. But yet all of us from birth, we have it in us to do the most wicked things apart from God's love. All of us. It breaks my heart for what I'm hearing about abortion in our nation. I mean, it's, it's been breaking my heart. It's, it's been devastating that abortion's even allowed. And yet now it's, it's even to the point, let me tell you how dark things get. It doesn't stop in one place. Now it gets to, if a baby happens to, listen, be successful in avoiding death and coming into the world and, and is on a table that a doctor would have the permission to kill that baby because the abortion was not successful. Murder. Murder in the womb. Murder now outside of the womb. Where does that go? I'm going to tell you, it, it keeps going. It keeps going. All of us are tempted to remain silent on this, but let me tell you where it will go. It continues to attack the value of life. And all of a sudden, and I'm not going into the political realm here, I have no aspirations for that, but I'm just going to tell you, this whole pipe dream that everybody can be on one thing, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You know why? Because right here we see in Scripture, this is a fallen world, fallen people. Somebody's corrupt in that system. Somebody's going to distort it. Our hope is, is in Christ. It's, it's being citizens of heaven. But let me tell you, this continues to go. It continues to go to those who are elderly, it's going to come to you too. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to push you one way or another. That's, I, I want to push you to Jesus Christ. All right, you hear me? Jesus Christ. But let me tell you what happens. We continue to go into more darkness. That now it becomes about our elderly and are they worth providing medicine for to keep them around? You say, that's harsh. It's happened already before. This is nothing new. This may infuriate you because you would say, Brian, are you not understanding for, for women 
and what they go through. You're a man, you can't understand, and you're right, I cannot understand, and I think you women are absolutely amazing for everyone who carries a child and those who can't carry a child, that you trust in the Lord and you put your strength in the Lord. I love and respect you. I appreciate you so much, but it is not up to you when it comes to that life. It's not up to me. And I find this every time that when I speak on this, somebody's going to come back and they're going to say, but Brian, what about the woman who, and you're going to give me some example, and I hate that something would happen so horrible to you. I, I, I want you to understand that. I do. I hate that you would ever be attacked, that someone would ever force themselves upon you, that something like that would happen in your life. I hate that. But yet, will you give me the opportunity to hate this thing called abortion? Can we just hate it without apologizing for it? That's the fear of darkness. You may disagree, but I'm, I'm firm on this, I'm telling you. And I think we need to be firm because if we keep giving ground and we keep giving ground and we keep giving ground, we're, we're going to pay for this. We are as a nation, as a people. Who knows already how we've paid for this already. You say, well, Brian, you think you're big and bad because you just let off some steam. No, I'm not. I'm nothing. But I so love and I'm so grateful for what Christ has done for me. And then I'm so privileged to live on this earth. I'm so privileged to live in this country. I'm so privileged to walk into this house. I, I told my wife this morning, I am so excited to get to church today. I'm so excited. And I love my home. It wasn't like I just wanted to get out of home. Like, I love being home. I'm, I'm excited when I go back home today. I'm, I'm so excited, but I was so excited to get here. I, said, I just love the people that we're around, and I love that we center ourselves around Jesus. We so need Jesus. It's not a show. It's reality. And all of this is possible because he came down to establish his good work in us. See, we, we don't naturally think this way. We need grace to change us, to bring us out of the darkness. I think Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 explains this really well. It's what Paul says. He says, and he's speaking to the church. The audience is his church in Ephesians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Can I just run through this with you, what he's saying? He says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're dead. Completely dead, no pulse for God, none whatsoever. But not only that, he says, you're a dead man walking. You're walking the course of the world. I know we have walkers in the room. You like to walk. I don't know if walking is still the thing to do in malls, which I think is awesome. But you have your, your course mapped out. You go on that course every day. You, you, you know um, where you're going to pass at certain times. Like if I look out my window, I know the walkers in our neighborhood. I'm like, yep, there they are, 5 o'clock. Here they go, right there. They have a course in which they walk. They walk the same course every day, yet those who are dead in their sins walk the same course every day. Same course, same path, but yet they're following somebody. They're following the prince of the air, and, and that's not Jesus, that's Satan. They have somebody leading the pack, and he just leads them to further disobedience, further disobedience, further disobedience. And you see, we were all on this walk of death in darkness, all of us. 
Without Christ, we're, we're, we're walking in darkness. We're walking the walk of death. We're dead, we're dead men walking. Maybe that's why we like watching shows of dead people coming back to life and being zombies. I don't know. We kind of relate to it. Our sin ruled over us, corrupting our minds. Wow. See, you're not free. As a dead man, sin rules over you. It, it corrupts your thinking. Not only that, it's our nature. Our nature is wrath. Just like the rest of mankind. See, maybe you were brought up in a home where this wasn't taught. And you were brought up to hear every day how special you were. Because you are special to your parents. Uh, maybe you're in a job where you're the man or you're the woman. Career field where you just rock at it. And everybody shouts your praises and you think, this can't be me, but yes, just like the rest of mankind, all of us. What's the remedy? How do we get off this course of death? Jesus. Jesus was put to death so that we can put the darkness of death out of our lives so that it can be driven from our lives. Colossians 3.5, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, much of the debate when it comes to right or wrong in our nation and in the world has more to do with the cause and the reason for our sin. And here it is. It's right within us. When we were talking about abortion, I mean, really, if we could get to the heart of it, I think there's a bigger problem at large. Hear me clearly. At large, there's a bigger problem, and it's called sexual immorality. It's called I can do whatever I want to with my body. It's my body. See, that we put to death. And what is the purpose of man on this earth? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Grace changes that. So, you say, man, you really took the highlights of John 3, 16 and led to a dark place. Scripture points out the darkness here. See, that's why it must be attached because John 3, 16 is still great news. But it's not good news if you don't understand the rest of it. That's why we are mining it and we're not even mining it to its core. But God be gracious to us, allow us to see where we've already been reading today and studying. And here it is. So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Wow. How can we get off the course of death? Can I go back to Ephesians 2, 4, and 5? Here it is. But God. You want to get off the course of, the course of death? God. God is your remedy. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I don't think scripture could be any clearer. You were so dead 
There's no contribution you could ever have to your salvation. It is all by the grace of God. That may just rock your world right now, but I don't know how we get around that when we look in Scripture and see that we were dead in our trespasses. With whom did we trespass against God? We walked this earth, which he created for his glory, and we did everything but glorify him. We have trespassed all over this earth. We have trespassed all over his name. We have made a mockery of him, and yet by his grace would he save us. That's what we see. So if we were to come to the light, what's the evidence? Okay, so if if we were to remain in darkness, what would be exposed? That our deeds are evil. But if we come to the light, what's the evidence of that? Because our works were good? Because our deeds were righteous? No. Be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What's the boast of the believer? Christ's work. We can never boast of ourselves. It's not because of our own righteousness, but it's due to Christ's righteousness. And this is good news. You say, what do we do with this? We trust in Jesus. You say, but what if, what if Jesus doesn't receive me? That's ridiculous thinking on our parts. It is ridiculous thinking that if we point somebody to Christ and they indeed want to be saved, that you would go, oh, what's your confidence that he came for all the world and you're included in that world, that there's not one particular type person There's not one particular type people group that God saves. He saves people all across the world. He will save you. Put your faith in Christ and Jesus today. Would you be saved? You say, oh, but would he love me? I mean, after I've just heard how wicked I am, that's the good thing. Like we need to know how wicked we are before we can understand how much he loves us. I mean, that grows in your life every day as a Christian. Or at least that's the desire. I love this. Many churches sing F.M. Layman's great hymn about the love of God. Interestingly, the last verse was not penned by him. He found it inscribed on the wall of an insane asylum next to the bed of a man who had evidently found the love of God before he passed away. Here's what he etched. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill Every man ascribed by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Trust in his love. He loves you. You can trust in this as you repent to follow Christ today. Would you? Would you call upon Christ today if you're in your sin and you know that there's never been a time where you have repented and trusted in this gospel, that Jesus came, that he would come and that he would give his life on a cross, that he would pour forth his blood to cover your sin and save you. If you're hearing this today and you know that you need to trust him as Savior, repent today and say, Jesus, you are Lord. I trust that you came for me and that you saved me. Would you call upon Jesus now and be saved? 
nothing else getting in the way but being saved today? If you're a Christian and you've heard this today, I hope that it brings you even greater joy for the love that he has for you. And the days when you feel like there's no way God could love me for what I'm thinking or for what I'm doing or for what I've done, you know he loves you. And and the, the evidence is that you would even call upon him and trust in him. Know that he loved you first. As we see in 1 John 4, 12. He loved us first. There's our confidence. This should bring such confidence to us. We've been born from above, and this was made possible because he came down with his love. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much that you did not leave us. You just not get tired of us and wipe us all out. You did not wait for us to change our behavior to become better. You came when we were at our worst. And you showed the greatest love. You've saved a people for yourself to make a name for yourself. May we be faithful in this calling to go make disciples, to go out into all of the world, not showing favoritism towards anyone, but trusting that anyone we go to can be saved. May we not try to play sovereign God, but may we just be a faithful servant in preaching the gospel and trusting that you are good. Or this is our hope in the gospel today. We love you. We thank you for bringing us together around your word. In Jesus' name, amen.